We're excited to be partnered with Gulfstream Park for their championship meeting, highlighting the new Tropical Turf Pick 3, now three days a week, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. The wager includes three turf races every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday with a competitive 15% takeout. Additionally, the bet features a $3 minimum wager and will run even if the races are moved from the turf to the tapita. Don't miss our Tropical Turf Pick 3 handicapping shows all throughout the month of January to get all your tips and analysis. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show for Tuesday, January 23rd. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornatal, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker once again. I've been talking all season about how cold it's been in the bunker. Well, this weekend outdid itself because the boilers stopped working. A lot of fun. Turned out there was a, a leak in the joint. Anyway, we got it fixed, but it was, I mean, we're talking about like you could see your breath down here. So broadcasting upstairs last week, but the, the heat's back on. Very much uh, pleased to be back with you for this show, and uh, we kick things off. We've got a few segments on the show, but we'll kick things off, bringing in uh, a man to look back at last weekend and the racing that we saw in Louisiana, and also uh, talk about this future pool. Lots of talk uh, recapping this Derby future pool number three. Joining me now from Texas, Nick Tamaro. Nick, what's going on? I'm doing great, my friend. Always a fun time of year with the Derby Preps starting off and uh yeah excited to take a look at them and see what's going to end up happening with a lot of these in the very near future there's there's definitely some stories to talk about and some reflections on this pool i thought it was interesting in the press release that went around to see that the derby fuel the derby pool future betting up this year up to somewhat significantly um which i think is interesting because it's not easy man it's not easy playing the game of looking at this stuff this far out and, and trying to come up with an intelligent uh, wager, especially on the, on the parimutuel side, we're going to a little bit later in the show, we're going to bring in JK to do a video portion for that too. And we're going to try to find something approximating what we think uh, might be value. But before we get to, to that segment, I just want to talk about this generally with you and you know, I'll start with that question. What, what in your view accounts for uh, the increase in the handle we're seeing in a pool like this? It's absolutely astounding, Pete, that in a game that has, um, and it's important to be realistic, in a game that has slid in popularity, the Derby is more popular than it's ever been. Yeah. And, you know, Churchill has done a pretty incredible job making the Derby a virtually year-round conversation. And right, yeah. it's, it's sort of like what ESPN did for the NFL in the sense that they'll be talking about the draft in March and they'll be talking about training camp in May. And, you know, we're talking about the Derby now pretty much from September on uh, now that Churchill starts awarding points that early. And so you reach this point and, and, you know, you're almost like fever pitch and it's January. Right. I mean, most of the most of the horses that are going to end up as as the four or five favorites in this race probably haven't even run this year. So it is pretty incredible. I think expanding to 40 entries also helped in terms of comparison versus historical numbers. But um, it's it's impossible to deny that the popularity is just it's incredible. And, um, you know, the the Derby future is like the ultimate fake smart guy endeavor. Right. You want to you want to place a successful future bet so you can tell all your friends that, well, I got that horse at, you know, it's right. 75 it's worth to one. more than money. It's worth more than sure. money. Exactly. In a, way. a lot exactly. of a lot of clout associated with it. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm inept when it comes to these. So I generally don't bother terribly much. 
<laughs> that's very funny. Well, I think you make a good observation. And, you know, I have to admit from, from our point of view, and I think Jonathan's with me on this, that a lot of this early derby coverage we've been putting out this year, it, it's a little bit of a case of if you can't beat them, join them. You know, for years around this time, I, I can go back on shows from previous, previous years, you could probably hear us scoffing about the, the potential futility of trying to formulate an opinion. But then, you know, we were looking at our numbers in the off season and any content we have at any time of year that has Derby in it gets like 30% more people wanting to pay attention. And at the end of the day, that's our job for you, the listeners and for the, and for the clients as well is to talk about what people want to talk about. And honestly, I've enjoyed the challenge. Um, the top 10 video we did that's up on YouTube. This one we're going to be working on this week. I'm hoping we can just, you know, create more content along these lines. So, I want to drill down into some of these numbers. Let's start with the one that closed as the favorite. And you, you might have made a comment already that tipped your hand about how you feel about this one. But you know, I'm still a little surprised that given the fact that the Baffert horses are included in the all others, I was almost surprised it was as high as two to one. Also, because it feels like the way modern thoroughbreds are trained, something could just completely out, come out of the woodwork that we haven't even seen yet. What do you think of that as a price, the two to one for the all others category? It actually seems pretty fair, um, if not if not even a little high, as you said. Um, it's it's uh, it's pretty solid, all things considered. I think, and and I mean, look, a lot of it has to do with what you said. the The Baffert runners were not named, so you know you're talking about. Um, a lot of major players, which includes now yet another horse that debuted over the weekend for Baffert. And you'd get $6.88 back on the all others. So, I mean, it was clearly the best bet. There's no doubt about that. I mean, it's it's a, just a much better bet to be on the, the, the all others at two to one than, you know, door knock at 15, right? I mean, he's he's still a he's still nine or 10 to one to make the race. So it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty incredible. I mean, I feel like historically the all others in, in, I mean, this used to be pool one, it's now pool three. Um, but the, historically the all others in pool one was around six to five. Right. And I mean, I think it probably should have been in that range again. I think that makes sense. I mean, last year we saw last year's Derby winner didn't run until, uh, is that right? He was, that wasn't just, was it his first race or his maiden win on Pegasus debut? No, he broke his maiden on debut on Pegasus. Yeah, it was his debut. Yeah. Yeah, I remembered it was, I remembered him winning. I just couldn't remember if that was the first race. So, I mean, you look no further than one year ago and then you just throw in the just general trend of how horses are trained. It only, you know, nobody mentions the curse of, of Apollo anymore with, with, you know, we'll leave that one happily dead and buried, but it, uh, it, for, for all those reasons, it's interesting. And it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. What is your gut about these Baffert runners? And, and you know, obviously they're asking, this is an impossible piece of speculation I'm asking for you. But, you know, between uh, Maymoon and Nysos and Muth, he's got some horses that definitely um, make sense. Of course, they might not even run in the race. What, what's your gut as to which, if any of these Bafferts are, are going to be, they're going to follow the pattern of the last few years? Or do you think they might break the pattern this year and say, the heck with it, we're going to stick with Baffert and, and, and go to a race like the Preakness? I actually think the latter. I, I think I think they might just say, you know what, we're going to pass on it. And the the biggest part of that, um, and of course, I you know I say this trying to look at it as objectively and and unbiased as possible. I think the biggest part of that is that right now the breeding market, the breeding game, is so fertile that you don't necessarily need to win the Derby in order to be a legitimate stallion, right? Well, I mean, oh, you yeah. can win a, 
you can win a variety of different races. And, and I mean, look, let's be honest, a horse like Muth is already a stallion. He already he won a grade one as a two-year-old. He's got a, he's got a nice pedigree. You know, he's his, all he's doing right now is adding value. And uh, I think there's probably some appeal to a Belmont at Saratoga, to a Preakness, you know, to winning races like that, that are meaningful. I think the Travers has definitely risen in popularity, at least the way breeders view it. So yeah, I, I think that a couple of them, I think Amr Zidane probably more so than anybody with a horse like Muth and with May Moon, I could see him saying, you know what, we're going to pass. We're going to go on to the next leg and, and not bother with, uh, with moving him to a different trainer or doing anything like that. Um, you know, quite honestly, that hasn't worked well at all. Um, right. unsurprisingly, um, because those, and, and now, I mean, moving the deadline at which he, they would have to be moved to a different trainer up by a month, it seems to make it a little bit more onerous. And, um, and so I, I don't, I don't blame those connections. I mean, basically they have to decide by this weekend if they want to move them to a different trainer. So I could see them sort of opting to, to go in a different direction. I guess maybe that hurts our all others argument because those horses may not run. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah, uh, it maybe it, that's it part of why difficult. it is, it is what it is. Now I'll admit, I mean, I saw the news about the moving the deadline, but I didn't realize it was up that far. What do you, I'll, I'll commit the Cardinal broadcasting sin of asking you the question that I don't have the answer at the ready, but what, what, what exactly what exactly would have to happen if if these these horses are going to end up in the in the running in the first Saturday in May uh, under the Twin Spires? Yeah, my understanding is that they have to be relocated to other barns in order to run for points in um, as of January twenty seventh. Oh wow! So, or January twenty eighth, I guess the end of this upcoming weekend. Um, so I can verify that, but uh, yeah, that's that's my that. understanding, and so. Take a look and let's confirm that because that is huge and that explains a lot and makes me feel like, okay, maybe it's a good thing. I didn't get down on that all others bet. What did you think of May Moon in that the, the run? Yeah, I was just going to say the other news that came out today is that Baffert dropped his his lawsuit of um, of uh, his lawsuit against Churchill Downs for the Medina Spirit disqualification. So, I mean, I don't know if that was like a bit of an olive branch, but of course, Churchill came out almost immediately and said that doesn't do anything to change his suspension. Right. So, it, yeah. is, it is quite a, uh, quite a standoff between, uh, between those, those entities. I, I was curious to see how impressed you were with May Moon this weekend. That was a 94 fire speed figure uh, drawing away. I mean, just six and a half, but uh, certainly does look like a horse who's going to have some uh, potentially major victories by his name. If he can improve on that type of form. Yeah, he looked awfully good. I mean, it's tough not to to at least kind of fall for a horse that can run a 94 fig first time out. And Zidane has been pretty successful so far with these horses that work very, very quickly at auction. Um, you know, the problem is that generally you you pay a premium on those and he's obviously willing to do it. Um, money doesn't seem like it's much of an obstacle for Mr. Zidane. So he was happily paid 900000 for a frosted that yeah. uh, really doesn't have much of a damn side. So, but again, the horse worked nine and three fifths at, at Ocala back in March or in April, excuse me, and uh, looked very professional beat what, you know, there were a couple of horses in that field, Pete, that had, had run very well. First time out the uh, rail runner to had run well um, opening week. And, um, and he just made mincemeat of them. I mean, he, he gave them no shot at all. So looked very much like a Baffert horse with a, with a pretty big future. Um, I wouldn't wouldn't uh, be in a big hurry to try and talk anybody out of believing that that horse probably has a great one by his name at some point. Yeah, nine hundred thousand he cost. Did I ever tell you my Amir Zidane story? Totally randomly, it was just one of those weird things. 
at the Medina Spirit Derby, which we you know had such crazy vibes because of COVID and everything. But I was in that, I was in the area sort of behind those winner's circle boxes, probably hanging with the the, the black type team and them and just looking for a place to eat my lunch. And there was another guy looking for a place to to sit and eat his lunch. I had no idea who he was. And then you know, as we're talking, I noticed the credential and, uh, and noticed he was, you know, Team Medina Spirit. I had a lengthy conversation with him about about racing and the horse and you know, living in London and all this stuff. That it was it was just a, a very random, just like one of those random people you meet, except this one happened to be uh, the guy who owned the horse that finished first in the Derby that year and always see him around. And, you know, I think he listens once in a while, which is really flattering and cool to, to me and always fun to talk to him about, about his horses. And, and yeah, he's got some fast ones. It'll be very interesting to see what kind of decision he makes. And it sounds like we're going to know that sooner rather than later. Another thing we have to talk about looking at this list is uh, the, the favorite of, of a horse who, who's actually um, an individual interest. That's fierceness. You know, eight to one to me um, feels like whatever, just the price or, or maybe paying a little bit of a premium. I did notice, though, and maybe we'll talk about this with JK later in the show when we do some buy, sell, hold stuff. Twelve to one internationally does start to make my antenna go up a little bit for a horse that already has run a, a buyer speed figure in the mid 100s. Obviously, you'd love to see more. But I mean, given this horse's body of work to this point. You know, he'll be named two-year-old champion this week. It just fe- it feels like if he comes back and looks fully formed, I mean, you're not going to be getting anything like 12 uh, come the day. Do you do you, you see in the case for that, or are you thinking it might be fool's gold from this far out? Yeah, I mean, I could see the case for it for sure. Um, I mean, I think the concern that, that comes up uh, would probably pertain to whether he's going to take any kind of step forward at three. We've seen Todd Pletcher have some two-year-old champions that didn't really move forward in their sophomore season. Um, I'll tell you this much. He's been pretty, I don't want to say aggressive, but he has kept fierceness pretty active. I mean, he worked him about five weeks after the Breeders' Cup and he'll arrive at the Holy Bull with seven workouts. And I mean, this feels like a horse that he's really trying to put some bottom into pretty early. And, um, you know, I, I would have seen, I feel like in general, you would have seen Todd Pletcher be maybe a little bit more conservative with a horse that, that ran as well as he did uh, sort of towards the tail end of his campaign. Um, you know, to, to put it in perspective, I mean, Doorknock won the Remsen. He hasn't even worked. So, I mean, he's he's taken it very, very easy since, since that. Um, and different trainers handle things different ways. You know, the concern, of course, is always it's it's the it's the varsity basketball question, right? When you're the when you're the sophomore that made the varsity team because you kind of matured a little bit before everybody else, and then by the time you're a senior, everybody's up, up there with you and they've gone past you, you're not as dominant. And you know, maybe fierceness was just a little bit farther along than everybody else. With that said, his his juvenile was sensational. So I feel like a lot is riding on this Holy Bull. We know we're only going to see him twice. We'll likely see him in the Holy Bull in the Florida Derby and route to uh, to Churchill Downs. So, um, yeah, I mean, two weeks from now, I'll be able to tell you whether eight to one looked good. I hate to give you sort of a, a wishy-washy answer like that, but so much is riding on that first start back. Yeah, it makes sense. I'd like to see, and maybe somebody out there will will do this digging and see some of these other ple- well-fancied Pletcher two-year-olds, how their comeback campaigns look uh, compared to fierceness. And I, I'm very sympathetic to the general idea of the comparison you're making with the, the JV player going up to varsity. It's just, you know, we haven't seen many who ran this fast at, at two. And and it does suggest to me, or at least, at least put the idea 
in my in my head that this one could be different sauce. Of course, you know, I have a vested interest in that as a guy who markets horse racing for a living. So maybe I'm pumping a little bit too much blue sky in there. But, you know, I, I appreciate you're there to bring me back down to earth on some of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, somebody has to bring you back down to reality on, on occasion. But I mean, the horse that you want to compare him to most, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with Mike Rapoli owning him, but you, the horse you want to compare him to is Uncle Mo. And I mean, it seems at this point like it's a totally unfair comparison because, I mean, we didn't get a start from Uncle Mo as a three-year-old until uh, it was basically the 11th hour. You know, he was, if I'm not mistaken, he didn't run until, did he the run wood. in the wood? Yeah. yeah. I mean, did he run? Scratched from the Tampa Bay Derby, as I recall. So he ran, he ran in a, yeah, he ran in a made-up race at Gulfstream called the Timely Rider. And, oh, I and, forgot and he, about that. Yeah, he actually beat Rattlesnake Bridge. He was 1 to 20, and he beat Rattlesnake Bridge. Um, I don't think he got much of a speed figure, but I do think he kind of walked on the lead. And then he went to the wood and lost, and obviously that kind of changed the course of of um, of how things were going to go because we didn't see him again until the, the King's Bishop. Right, right. There was clearly the issue, the scratch in the day of the Derby and and and, and all that. But I mean, right, because he what he has in common was that brilliant figure in the in the juvenile. But it just yeah, I mean, feels I think like- he got a one hundred eight buyer in the juvenile, and and you know, I mean, look, one of the things, and and I, I think I was I was talking to somebody about this the other day, but one of the things about fierceness is juvenile when you juxtapose it against Uncle Mo's fierceness actually beat a much better looking field. He right. beat a much faster field. Uncle Mo beat boys at Toscanova, but I mean the balance of that field really wasn't much. And a so of winners, I mean, but not 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 as exciting of group group in prospect as what we've seen from from this from this year's juvenile hall, which is a field that's already, I think, produced more winners than Uncle Mo's did. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I'm looking actually at Uncle Mo's field. The, the three through three through seven finishers were Rogue Romance, Be and Daddy, Stay Thirsty, JP's Gusto, and Jay Cito. Obviously, Stay Thirsty being the the next best horse from there. And I don't think we had the three year old version of Stay Thirsty in that juvenile. So he was clearly a horse who got better with more distance as well. So yeah, I mean, you're talking about this, he he just absolutely laid waste to horses like Muth, and we don't know what we're going to get out of Locked um, and some other horses that ran in there, Timberlake, and and I think General Partner is going to be a perfectly fine horse, maybe going a little bit shorter. So yeah, it feels like he beat a really he re- beat a really solid bunch in there, and I mean, look, he beat him like a drum. Yeah, it's one of the key, definitely one of the key questions going forward. Uh, one horse that I was that I think is worth a conversation is one that JK brought up the other day and was positive about. This is one of the biggest discrepancies. There's a few giant discrepancies between the international prices and the, uh, and, and the prices coming out of future, future pool three book. Dano is the most, is, is the most stark with 60. Was it 67 to one? He closed that in the, in Derby pool three. If you have it in front of you there, that's what I wrote down that it's sounding too high, even as I say it, because this is a horse that's, 16 to one internationally, which could just be a reflection of the international books, not really knowing what to do and wanting to hold everybody safe. But you know, what, what do you make of this book? I'm Dano in, in general. Yeah. I, I feel like I read that Derek Ryan was not interested in going to the Kentucky Derby. Now that of course can change, but I mean, if you knew that it was that this horse was going to be sent to Saudi to run in the Saudi Derby, would you be excited about him running in the Kentucky Derby? And I think pretty much anybody would say no, just because it's of all the Derby rules that we've broken over the course of the last eight years or so, we've never, 
never really been seen anything come close to somebody coming from overseas and, and winning the Derby, which looks like it's going to be, it's going to be pretty tough to do. So, um, I mean, I think when push comes to shove as well, Bookham Dano really feels like a horse who's probably gonna have a problem with the distance. Um, he's only gone a mile once he got run down late by where's Chris and, um, and didn't exactly look like a horse that was crying out for another quarter mile, but he's a nice horse. He's in the hands of connections that obviously are going to do the right things with him. He's a gelding. So they're concerned with making money. And I think that's really smart. Yeah. Yeah, No no stud value to worry about there. Yeah, exactly. So take him where he can make money and, you know, there's an awful lot of money out there later in the year for horses that are in derbies stretching across the country. And I feel like that might be, you you can see Derek Ryan sort of working backwards from a race like the Haskell, um, given that he's a Jersey guy and just kind of go that route. That makes sense. Another giant discrepancy is with Sierra Leone. This one uh, in the other direction, Sierra Leone, 13 to one in pool three, 33 to one internationally. Now I got to check and see if that's just like one book um anomaly but boy i I gotta say that doesn't sound too bad to me on this horse i mean i know obviously has to get faster but has lots of reasons too where do you stand with with sierra leone which of those prices is more reflective of his chance to win in your opinion 13 or 33 i mean given the connections and the high price overseas doesn't it feel like they're being told not to bet him i mean he's this is a Tabor and magnier horse so it's sort of funny Given their back, yeah, given their background in many yeah. ways, but yeah, he's disgracefully overbet at thirteen to one. That's nuts, right? He's but he has every bit of um, he is the wise guy becoming sucker horse in the sense that everybody was seduced by that massive move he made around the outside on a day where it was very clearly an advantage to save ground in the Remsen. Um, yes. The expectation is that he'll move forward with more distance, being a gun runner. The uh, mayor was a Grade One winner. Uh, the, the dam, I should say, was a great one winner in the Alcibiades. So, I mean, there's precocity, there's distance, there's just a lot to like. He's a Chad Brown horse, and Chad's always going to be very popular uh, amongst horses. But um, the problem that you're going to run into with Sierra Leone is that, like, first of all, where are they running him to prep? Because if they're prepping him in Florida or even at fairgrounds, his running style is not really conducive to either of, of, of those racetracks. And so he needs a lot to happen in front of him to be successful. Maybe he's a horse with a little bit more tactical speed than he showed in the Remsen because he was a mile out before he unleashed that huge move. But yeah, I, I need to see Sierra Leone run as a, as a three-year-old and see what we've got in the tank, you know, now that he's matured a little bit because taking 13 to one on him, I mean, he feels like a horse that could easily get to this race and go off 14 or 15 to one. And if you bet on him at 13 to one in January, you're kind of a fool. Feels a little silly. I mean, yeah, certainly that short isn't of interest. The 33 was piquing my interest. It is fascinating to see the discrepancy even over there. Half the books over there, most of the books over there have the horse also at 16. The book that I would describe, and, you know, no free ads, um, but the book that I would describe as the sharpest book is the one that has the, the highest price, the 33. You don't see that too often, and it makes you wonder if somebody thinks they know something. Sierra Leone scheduled for the Risen Star next up according to the horse racing nation stakes tracker so they, they, that that's a sensible place for the comeback i would think as opposed to the south florida track that we think wouldn't necessarily suit him you like that call yeah that seems to make sense i mean that's kind of been chad's route in the past that's what he did with zandon and i would imagine it'll be something that looks like uh risen star and wood or risen star and, and bluegrass uh, but i'll give you just a just a, a comparison how about would you rather have locked at 18 or Sierra Leone at 13? 
I mean, I think I think on the price alone, uh, I, I would gravitate in, in Locke's direction there. I mean, and we just also, I feel like that form line from Locke is one that I just, I trust a little bit more. I don't think, I'm not cutting in line for, for 18 to 1. I'll take a look what, what Locke is internationally, but I, I feel like that's the decision you're supposed to make there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm taking locked at, 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 you know, one and a half times the price eight days a week. And maybe I'm overrating locked. Maybe I'm, I'm looking forward to him improving more than he will, but I thought he looked very good as a two-year-old and he ran, you know, he didn't run as fast as fierceness, but he ran fast and he feels like a horse that could easily get to the Derby with a couple of, of strong performances that really dragged that price down. So um, he was one I felt like at a, at a big price. He wasn't the most overbet horse in in the the group, and actually, for that matter, Sierra Leone wasn't either, in my opinion. The most overbet horse actually ran a little bit more recently. Uh, we talk. We talking track phantom. No, I, conquest warrior. I oh. mean, conquest warrior was he went off eighteen to one. He just broke his maiden, right? Yeah. I mean, but he is he has everything that you would expect to to find in a horse that the public just went nuts for. He's a Shug McGahee horse that had a, tr- a trip in a relatively slow race with a big pace and he ran them down. Um, he's a city of light out of a pulpit mare. So in all likelihood, the extra distance shouldn't be much of a problem. And obviously Shug is, Shug has always been the betting public's darling, but yes. um, yeah, I, I'm not a huge track Phantom fan, but I mean, track Phantom's body of work in comparison to a horse like Conquest Warrior, there's no comparison. Right. He's, he's done significantly better. And I wouldn't, I, I'd book track Phantom at 18 to one all day long right now, but I would, I would book both. I thought you were giving me the segue. Yeah. Conquest Warrior is another interesting one. That figure seems interesting because there's, there's a big difference. I think if I'm remembering right between time form that had it pretty fast, like, you know, one Oh six. So equivalent of mid eighties. I think the actual buyer was slower on that, but he's another one, 18 in the future pool, 33, in the international betting. Meanwhile, track phantom goes um, 18 out of the future pool shorter than that. Actually 14 bookies, maybe trying to get people to, to, to bet the the flavor of the month there. I mean, yeah, neither of those prices is appealing to me. Locked is interesting because that 18 is actually better than anything that's available internationally. I tell you what, one thing looking at this locked PP cut that I just pulled up that does interest me in particular is how fast he ran like how fast that maiden win was, you know, I love that sort of pattern where they, you know, the big race at the end of the year, it just feels very validated. Like I look at this PP cut and, you know, you play that game sometimes of guessing what figure they're going to run next time. And it just feels like locked is supposed to run a a low triple digit figure, which is going to absolutely put him on the map. Yeah, it was, it was a big fig, which, you know, and I remember Andy Byer explaining this to me when, when he was teaching me how to make figures and he said not to ever be concerned about a figure that looked very high or very low when two-year-olds were doing something for the first time. He said there could be there are going to be way more occasions where they are very slow. And, you know, don't worry about giving them a 36 or a 38. And I was doing tracks where 36 and 38s were much more prevalent. Um, but he said at the same time, you might have one that really runs off the screen. And so drum roll, please, and locked in that race. I mean, they were 13 lengths ahead of everybody else and locked one by seven. So the third place horse lost by 20 lengths, 
right? I mean, we're talking, this is 30 plus buyer speed figure points. So the fact that they ran as fast as they did, and they've validated it since. I mean, drum roll, please, while he's unfortunately injured um, and not going to make the derby, and his Jerome was not particularly fast, but he did run fast in the Remsen, and obviously Locke ran fast in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. So yeah, they were ahead of the curve at that point. We, we hadn't seen a mile race for two-year-olds at Saratoga in years until we got the Wilton shootback um, or the Wilson shootback a couple of years ago. So, I mean, we'll see more of it, but I think we're going to get some of those situations where you have horses that are really geared towards going that far that early and they tend to overperform. When you said Wilson shoot, it made me think of, of the Met Mile being run out of it. And I, I, I still can't decide how I feel about it. I mean, Hey, I guess, I guess, I'm excited enough about the weekend as a whole that I'm certainly not going to like be totally Debbie Downer about it, but it doesn't seem exactly right, does it? Put me firmly in the camp of people that believes that the Met Mile should be run at Aqueduct this year and forever, for whatever years um, the race is run, the Belmont is run at Saratoga. I was a big advocate for running the Met Mile on the Belmont undercard, but at this point, I'm of the opinion that for a Belmont at Saratoga, you could plug in the Suburban, for example, into the slot that the Met Mile was in, and you're going to handle virtually the same amount of money. So mm-hmm. to me, you take a you take it and put it on a day where you may not have handled as much as you did. Maybe it's Memorial Day. Maybe it's the Saturday of Memorial Day weekend, you know, something like that. Run it then. And um, I think you you actually are doing yourself a favor. I, I don't I don't like the idea of, of running an eight or nine horse field out of that shoot. I love the idea of put, bringing it back to Memorial Day weekend. I think you make a great point that you can't just say, you can't just look in isolation about, oh, it's going to handle more on, on this day. You have to look about what it would handle relative to a replacement race to use that sort of baseball, you know, wins above replacement concept in, in applying it to, to handle it in horse racing. That would be a, a race that could carry a day. Though I wonder with as infrequently as horses run these days, gosh, if they're going to make a, a move like that would be kind of seismic and, and that's something else that would have to be soon. When, when will we know definitively the, the, the answer to that? Do you, do you know when we're going to see the, the full stake schedule? I would imagine we'll see the stake schedule for that weekend by mid February. I can't imagine we're too far off from it. I mean, I know the, I did get an email the other day with some of the pricing on premium seating for, for the facility. So, I mean, I think they're, they're ramping up, uh, some of the prep now. So, I mean, I would imagine we'll see a stake schedule at least for that weekend and probably for the entirety of the Belmont at the big a spring summer meet pretty soon. There are some races that got downgraded that they're going to have to, to move around a little bit um, in order to accommodate a few different things. But yeah, I would, I would imagine we can't be terribly far off. Something to, something to look at, but I'm with you. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that change made. And, and, you know, look, if it runs on the the Belmont undercard as, as usual, and it's at Saratoga, it's out of the Wilson shoot. It's not like I'm going to, you know, it's not going to ruin my weekend <laughs> far from it, but I do think it might just be a more efficient, uh, sharper way of doing things potentially um, to make a change like the one you're suggesting. I totally get that. Anything else on these Derby uh, bets before we move on to a couple of more things from fairgrounds and, uh, and get on with the show. Uh, yeah, not really. I mean, I guess I would say if there's somebody who I would look at and say, you know, that's a price that seems like it's a little, little too high. Um, I mean, maybe he's got to get faster, but Otello at 59 to one feels like that might be a little bit high. El copy for Rick Dutro's 33 to one. He's not run back since, the de- big debut win in November, but or in early December, I should say. But I mean, one of the vanquished horses behind him was Conquest Warrior. Wow. So I mean, you know, and I think we've all 
we've all reached a peak Rick Dutrow in terms of recognizing that he's back and nothing really changed about his ability to get horses ready for big races. So Shug's uh, Conquest Warrior took all that money and it made everybody forget about change of command. Who's got a little bit of a case of the slows himself, but he went off 83 to one. So there's a, there's a lot of, a lot of meat on the bone there. No, I get it. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're going to talk about Al Capi with JK later in the show, but, and maybe you're going to have to listen to me say this twice if you're, if, if I'm right about this, but one of the things I loved about El Capi was just the Dutro quotes about him just in terms of what he didn't ask him to do ahead of the debut. You know, it really did. Uh, and Dutro seems like a straight shooter when it comes to those kind of comments, the idea that, that that was basically the horse on his own and now he's training him and he wants to give him, you know, a ton of time in that way that modern trainers who believe in the sheets, etc., do. But it, but it does make me wonder if we can't see a. And that was a fast race, and and what he could do going forward. It's interesting. I mean, it's certainly certainly one worth pausing on. Any other thoughts? You know, we kind of covered track phantom. Any other thoughts coming out of a uh, fairgrounds? Had some nice stinks racing down there on Saturday. Yeah, I thought West Home Omaha, the uh, Oaks winner, looked good. Um, feels like a horse that could potentially move forward. Um, I don't know how, you know, I don't know necessarily how good that race will come back in the end. Um, I do think the little comp was kind of a, a little bit of a phony race in the sense that uh, track phantom was able to kind of get away with murder on the front end. Yeah. But, you know, I've, I've kind of been against Steve Asmus and horses in these scenarios in the past, and they really do deliver more often than not. So um, the horse to talk about from Saturday at fairgrounds, though, is hall of fame who broke his maiden early on in the card. He got a 94 buyer first time out in the fifth race and uh, looks like a horse that really could be anything moving forward. He actually ran a buyer speed figure that compares favorably to his stable mate track phantom. It was actually faster. And uh, so he's one that you kind of want to keep an eye on. I think moving forward, um, it's obviously a little late in the game and this has not really been Steve's forte as much as it is somebody like Bob Baffert to, to, you know, bring a horse like this along pretty quickly. Um, he's, I'm sorry, he's a second time starter. So he's got a little bit more foundation in him. He ran a good race on debut. Obviously it did, n- no indication was there that he was going to move forward the way he did. He is another Magnier and a Tabor runner. This is a gun runner out of flag day. And uh, Steve actually won with a gun runner at Sam Houston on Sunday that he trained the dam and the sire. Um, and, and he's just done so incredibly well with these gun runners and obviously knows how to train them very well. And, they seem like they can do anything also. I mean, they seem like they, they probably almost train themselves, right? They, they're just incredibly good. But uh, yeah, he felt like the horse that you kind of wanted to talk about coming out of the weekend. And uh, we'll see. West Omaha, all things considered, winning the Silver Bullet Day, ran a fast race. Running an 84 buyer early on in your, in your three-year-old season for a filly is a good number. And that seems like a very believable number. There was no split of the variant in the last uh, three dirt races of the day. So it, uh, it looks like reliable. It, yeah, it looks reliable. It looks like it'll hold up well. And as we've said, you know, when we talked about the three-year-old Phillies last year, we were not seeing numbers like that in the final preps, <laughs> hardly, let alone, um, let alone this early. Another interesting note on Hall of Fame, Million Dollar Baby, worth pointing out. And this one only listed at the, the book I termed the sharp book. 33 to one. So, uh, you know, not, not, not cut in line kind of stuff, but interesting to see that the smart place is the only place putting that one up in the same place that seems to have, um, 
contrary info, shall we say, on the other Magner Tabor U.S. Uh, trained three-year-old at this at this point. So just some interesting stuff to follow, which we'll do going along. While we're talking about uh, action from fairgrounds the other day, uh, we, we should probably talk about the Saudi crown and, and that one's return to the races. What did you think of that effort? Yeah, I mean, typical effort from a horse that has a lot of speed and was able to get the lead. And, you know, I think it's kind of it's kind of fair at this point to look at Saudi Crown as a bit of a paper tiger. Um, he he wins when he has things his way and he doesn't when he doesn't. Right. He's uh, he feels like a horse will be pretty dangerous at a one turn mile and an eighth if he's able to dictate terms to everybody else. And and if he's you know, if he's able to do that, then I could see him being a real threat to win a race like the Saudi cup. But um, you would have liked to have seen him maybe face a little bit more adversity with that said, he's a fast horse. So he's able to overcome things a little bit easier than, than ones that aren't. Um, he set a much faster pace than track Phantom did 30 minutes later and finished up 1.53 seconds faster. So that was about 15 buyer points all in all and, uh, and beat, you know, beat some horses that have had a chance I've, I don't know. Smile. I don't know what's left for smile. Happy. I think. He's oh yeah. That was disappointing. That was the, he obviously yeah. didn't show his form at all checking in last there, but yeah, the buyer came back huge. One Oh five. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, it's his uh, third one Oh five and four starts. So, I mean, he's a fast horse and, and he's obviously very different when he's able to get the lead and do things his way on the front end. And uh, that's what he was able to do. So no, no great surprise there. And, you know, he'll represent uh, his connections in, in Saudi. Well, It'll be interesting to see. Um, it'll be very interesting to see if he can handle some adversity. Because, gosh, just on the figures, I mean, when you look at the figures and you don't look at the trips, you wonder if this horse couldn't have another gear in him. You know, as a as a just turned, uh, you know, j- j- just turning the calendar. Um, I mean, figure wise, he he. I feel like he should be a darling of ours. But I'm with you. I don't. I I don't fully. I don't fully trust until we can see the horse handle some more pace adversity, but I mean, that race was, that race was quick through throughout really. So, I mean, it just, on the other hand, was, was two in front of the quarter. So it's like, you know, you want to see him be able to, to, to what, what's the great Richard Migliori line on the shows with JK. We know he can throw a punch. Let's see him take a punch. Yeah. And the problem is that the last time he took a punch in the Breeders' Cup Classic, he got knocked out. So, and the the horse that did it, that dealt it was, is going to be in the Saudi cup. So, yes. I mean, I, my understanding is that that's where White Barrio is going, right? And he's going fresh. So, I mean, you know, where is, where is Saudi crown finding the, the, you know, m- number of lengths that were between the two of them. And, and look, I mean, it's also worth mentioning, and I think Brad Cox is a world-class trainer, but he's run horses in that race before that looked awfully good and they didn't run that well. So, you know, Nick's go ran poorly in the Saudi yeah. cup. The one time he went over, and he was a horse that had a similar kind of profile. He was very good when he was able to get the lead and very average when he didn't. So, you know, we'll see what happens uh, when he's sent overseas. But what we, I hope he gets back in one piece and we're able to get him a few times in America as well because he's a, he's a much needed part of the handicap division. So you will not be at Pegasus this weekend because you'll be working. Um, we're not officially working with you guys to to promote the contest you're doing this weekend, but ah, oh, what the heck? Tell people what's going on down in Texas as far as the as far as the contest at Sam Houston. 
right contrary to what you might be able to see we are going to have live racing at sam houston on saturday and uh we're going to have the houston racing festival which includes the uh houston ladies classic the john Connolly turf cup the bob bork turf mile and a couple of texas bread stakes we've got an 11 race card we have an nhc qualifier we're going to give out four spots to the nhc and the response has been really incredible big credit to mike steinler who's done an incredible job getting the uh the contest going and, and doing all the the legwork with getting people to play on horse tourneys and try and get qualified and, and also just recruit in general. So we're bumping up on a hundred entries right now already, which uh, for, for a thousand dollar live money contest bankroll only is a really stout number. And, um, and so we're going to also announce this weekend, another contest that we're going to have a little later on in the meet. And uh, that's something that, that will help promote on these airwaves as well. And that'll be a great opportunity for people to come down to Houston and qualify for the NHC and perhaps even more than that. Um, so I don't want to, I don't want to give away too much already, but uh, that's what we'll have going on this week. So if you're within shouting distance and you can get down to Houston, you might want to play that contest, do so because you're going to have at worst a one in 25 opportunity to qualify for the NHC. If you're dual qualified already, you can qualify for 2025. So that's there's, a, there's yeah. that, that <laughs> option as well. An excellent opportunity. And then you also have the fact that you can still be playing in uh, in the Pegasus contest through through your various uh, remote options, so it's not uh, we're not we're not promoting one over the o- over the other. Well, for promoting one over the other, it's Pegasus, obviously, which is you know emerging as a must check out for players with its fifty thousand added to the prize pool and the fact that five sixths of the money acts as live bankroll. The way most people approach contests, it's 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 a terrific chance to go home with more money than you've uh, than you've shown up with. So we're going to be following that with great interest. We've got a ton of content coming up at the end of the week. Nick will be back. We're going to be doing um I don't know how we'll do it. We'll either do the pick five or we'll do selected races or we'll do all the stakes. That's to be determined once we look at these races, but that's going to be fun. We're going to do that as a live stream, 845 Eastern. We'll have that listed soon. There's going to be a special show for the coast to coast bet on Saturday. And then JK and I will be covering the all turfs for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Tons of stuff to come. What is your next racing trip? Oh gosh, it's a long way off. No doubt. We're already in end of January. So I got a lot of, a lot of work to do before anything like that. I guess probably the summer. No, no Belmont at Saratoga for you. No, perhaps. yeah, perhaps. But that's, that's still still remains to be seen. Gotcha. Well, we'd love to have you. It'll be a ton of fun. We know we'll have you on here later in the week and soon. Got it. Uh, can't thank you enough, Nick, for all the fantastic work you do here and elsewhere, helping horse players find winners. Always a pleasure talking to you, my friend. Thank you, buddy. Take care. Talk soon. Next up on the show, we bring in a returning guest, but the last time we talked to him, he was working someplace else. These days, he's over at uh, the place we affectionately refer to here as the place with the letters, Daily Racing Form. We bring him in now. He's Rich Rosa. Rich, what's going on, man? Hey, Pete. Glad to be with you. How you doing? Things are good. I, a little bit of a host fail there for me. I couldn't remember your exact new title over at DRF. So what, sure, what sure. I'm the chief commercial officer, so uh, I'm responsible for, you know, essentially our commercial activities and how we address the market. We're going to talk a little bit about DRF and some of the things you guys have cooking this weekend, but that's not actually the main reason you're here today. You're here to talk about rock and roll and a show in particular, a special benefit show that's going to be happening Friday right near Gulfstream Park 
after the races. I'll be in attendance. You'll clearly be in attendance. And uh, I want you to tell folks about the, the the show and and your connection to the to the musical act. Yeah, sure. So we're we're going to do a, a happy hour benefit for the permanently disabled jockeys fund at Boston Johnny's in Hollywood, Florida, which is about four miles from Gulfstream Park, and it's going to start at five o'clock. We're going to play some music for people for about three hours, entertain them, and hopefully uh, they'll make a, a, a nice, sizable donation to the PG a PDJF and. Uh, um, I'm in the band. I play guitar and keyboards. Uh, we're uh, a South Florida-based uh, rock and roll cover band, and uh, we, you know, I got my bandmates to come on and do this, and it's for a good cause. And uh, we're looking forward to it. Fantastic play date. The name of the act. Give us a little bit of a history of this current. I know you've been involved in rock and roll for a while. How did this iteration of your uh, musical stylings come to be? Yeah, sure. So Playdate's your your classic Florida transplant transplant band. If if you can't notice from my accent, I'm from Long Island, uh, and like a lot of people, I moved to South Florida uh, for more sunshine. And I was lucky and fortunate enough to find five other great people who enjoyed playing music and doing the same things that I like to do in my spare time. And uh, we've formulated a pretty good act over the last couple of years. We play a lot of venues in um, South Florida, but more more north of, of Gulfstream Park. Uh, this will be our first time playing that far down south. And uh, what we do is we play a, a mix of you know, 60s, 70s, 90s, zeros and 10s and current party rock and roll and pop music. And uh, we think uh, the, the mix that we have will be very entertaining unique to our band is that we have two outstanding, fantastic female singers who bring a lot of rock and roll energy. And uh, hopefully all of that energy goes into the tip jar, which goes to the PDJF. Beautiful. It's January 26th. That's Friday, 5 to 8 p.m. Boston Johnny's is the venue. You've tipped your hand on this one, but I know just from talking to you extensively about music that you have what I would call uh, eclectic taste. And I, of course, that's a tremendous compliment coming from me. Anybody who's ever listened to any of my musical shows, the band's material reflective of that, uh, of that eclectic taste. I mean, we're, we're going to get some far ranging tunes in here. I'm assuming. Uh, no, I, well, it doesn't exactly reflect my uh, personal taste. It's more of a survey of what, people enjoy at, at, at like a bar restaurant or a, uh, a you know, place where bands play. Um, I wish it was a little more eclectic, but um, you, you have, when you, when you're in a band like this, you have to really tune it to what everybody can perform and play and enjoy. And I think what we do is a cross section of music that I think there's something in there for everybody. And we find that when we play, you know, we're entertaining the entire crowd, not just portions of the crowd. Yeah, I, I'm hearing what where you're going with that. And that's that's a sort of a classic, a classic tradition in rock and roll going back to the 60s, the idea of a, of a party band and the, the name, the name reflects that I was, I think, more referring to just I have a feeling there are probably you could probably pick tell me if I'm wrong, but you could probably pick two artists that you're going to be covering on Friday that there's not too many other bands are going to, you know, necessarily go from, from one pole to the, to, to the other like that, even if it all fits within a, a, a certain uh, vibe. Oh yeah. We go from the doors to Lizzo. 
There you go. <laughs> From the Beatles to Miley Cyrus. That, <laughs> you know? is that is eclectic, yeah. my friend. That's what I was going for. <laughs> exactly. Oh, no, no. That, you'll get that. There is a... Um, there's definitely a mix in there where we go from we'll grab something you know really neat from the '60s and then we'll play something that you might hear on your radio today. That's very cool, and it's not a pre-buy event ticket situation. Sounds like you can just turn up at the door. It doesn't sound like there's a cover. The cover you should have a mental cover that should go into the tip jar to reflect back to the to the PD, PDJF who do such a great job, obviously taking care of uh, of of riders who haven't been so lucky. Exactly, Boston Johnny's was kind enough to give us a stage. Uh, place to play, no cover. I, I believe they have great food and, uh, you know, they'll have your usual, you know, happy hour stuff, you know, chicken wings and burgers and all that kind of stuff. And uh, they have a great sound system, uh, but um, there's no cover. So everybody who comes, hopefully a lot of fans that are going to the Pegasus uh, can join us. And I know a lot of industry people will be around, so maybe they can join us too. And, um, you know, there's no cover. So just we're just asking kindly that you make a donation, whatever you could afford to put in the tip jar. Turn up. Boston Johnny's will be there. I love the five to eight vibes. You can, you know, get there right after the track and still have time to make your dinner reservation uh, down the road. So I, exactly. I love yeah, exactly. Very, That's why we, we place that time very specifically knowing that people have dinner arrangements and we don't want to get in the way. But. You know, come here a few tasty tunes and then go head off to dinner. Have a chicken wing, a couple of beers, and uh, Bob's your uncle. While I, I have you, while I have you, I got to talk to you a little bit about what DRF has cooking. In addition to the wall-to-wall coverage, you're going to be providing for one of racing's most fun and exciting days this weekend at the Pegasus. Uh, you're also a presenting sponsor at the at the Eclipse Awards. I'm curious to know: uh, is that an event you guys have? I can't remember. Have you always? sponsored that will you be in attendance or what are your what are your thoughts uh yeah i i believe we've been a a presenting sponsor for a long time i'll be in attendance um looking forward to it um you know i've provided some video services to the eclipse awards before this will be actually my first time sitting in a seat so uh, i'm really looking looking forward to being there and and as far as as pegasus goes like you said wall-to-wall wall coverage we have our video team out there uh, we're going to be doing DRF and Espanol coverage. So, you know, we'll have all the news and, you know, all the handicapping and everything that you're going to need uh, to follow the Pegasus Cup this weekend. I wish I could figure out this whole being in two places at once thing, because I really did want to make the Eclipse Awards this year in particular. My, my friend Sean Clancy won on the writing side. I was there when he won the last time back in uh, 2010 or whatever it was in Los Angeles. Uh, Frank Scatoni and I frantically trying to rent tuxedos at the last minute to go and represent Sean. But also one of the founding partners on our show, 10 Strike Racing, in conjunction with Sean, have one of the finalists for the, the Steeplechase Award in the form of Awaken. Alas, I have a Taekwondo belt test to attend and will not be making it down until Friday morning. But I will be there for the band Friday night. I'm very much looking forward to seeing you in person. And I know it's going to be a blast. Uh, any uh, closing thoughts, Rich, before we let you get out of here? Well, Pete, I'm delighted that you asked me on to uh, help promote this. It's a, it's a great cause. And I'm glad you're coming because you'll bring a crowd with you. <laughs> and I know this is going to be well supported. And, you know, we, we work in a wonderful industry that uh, definitely will come out for, for events like this and support things like this. And 
I'm just personally glad that we could be part of it and that my band is coming along, you know, for the ride and, and they're graciously, you know, offering their time. And uh, we're just looking forward to a great night Friday night. So hopefully you can show up. It has to be a bit of a world's collide thing for you, right? I mean, in your previous professional career, how often have you been able to get your, you know, your passion, your music um, stylings incorporated with something, you know, at least tangentially related to the day job? Um, this is the first time, so I'm really, I'm really excited about it. This is going to be great you know, for uh, some of my friends and colleagues uh, to see me in a different environment. I think it's going to be pretty neat, and uh, I expect a little bit of heckling uh, while it goes <laughs> off here. <laughs> I'm already planning. I'm already deciding what obnoxious song to yell for between uh, between sets to to participate in said heckling. Great stuff, Rich. Really appreciate you. Very much looking forward to seeing you uh, down in Florida in a couple of days. And rock on, buddy. Rock on. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate it. Next up on the show, another returning guest. Very happy to have him back. I'm sure he's very busy down there in South Florida ahead of this giant weekend of racing i'm speaking of a man who comes to us uh, from first racing he's pete rotundo pete, what's going on pete how's it going happy to be back well we got to get you to go over some of the ins and outs of this wagering menu on saturday we've been talking a lot about the contest i know we've got a lot of listeners who are looking to get involved in that with the fifty thousand added and uh, the five-sixths of that $6,000 bankroll going to cash. But what about uh, throughout the card? What, what special do we have cooking as far as that goes? Well, so let's start off. 11 a.m. first post on Saturday, right? 13 races. Uh, we added a couple of – we added a pick four and a pick five. So race one, obviously, pick five kicks off mandatory payout. Um, then we're going to have a pick four in race two, pick four in race three. And then we hit – a new pick five on race four because you know there's 13 races so we're we can add a couple of more bets there another mandatory payout um and then of course we skip a race another pick four the pick six um the rainbow six of course we'll have you know not up to by that time it'd probably about seven hundred thousand in the pool and then uh late pick five with a nice guarantee seven hundred fifty thousand. that should go way over two million let's be honest right and then we hit a, a late pick four uh, and then, of course, the, the pick three. Plus, we'll have the $3 coast-to-coast coast, uh, with three grass races. And if you do the math, it'll be race eight, um, race eight, 10, and 12. So, you know, oh, overflowing great. fields. And that, that one should, uh, that should be a huge, a huge one this week. Uh, and, of the course, we'll, gonna, we'll have the coast-to-coast. Coast. Yep. The tropical turf bets have been amazing. I've, I've loved the way they've paid. Even, you know, we had a favorite in a dead heat the other week, and I, I still felt like we got more than compensated. But, yeah, for me, I love the creativity on the on the undercard and adding that middle pick four. But, boy, this late pick five is all, you know, a grade three or higher, all graded stakes involved in that. And I love – another thing I'm very excited about – is the ability with this where this tropical turf pick three lies to sort of use that bet and potentially the pick six, pick five, pick four to like um, construct some really clever opinions and be able to really make some wagers that are going to give you a chance to get paid on uh, some of the best racing around. Closing, of course, with the two big grade ones there, the Pegasus World Cup turf and the World Cup itself. So you mentioned about the coast to coast. When that I'm pumped for as well. Obviously, we're recording this early in the week. 
and Gulfstream, you know, with the week out draw, which thank you, by the way, Pete. No idea if you had anything to do with that. Boy, is that great for horse players. When will we know the lineup for the Coast to Coast that it'll tie together racing from Gulfstream with Santa Anita? So Wednesday, uh, for Saturday, we'll know Wednesday night. Wednesday by 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Santa Anita draws Wednesday, usually by about 5 p.m. Eastern, right? So we'll know there. I mean, the thought is we're definitely going to include the turf and the dirt, Pegasus turf and dirt, uh, and then we'll just see how the Santa Anita races uh, map out. Uh, so it, that's that's the plan. We'll just see, we'll see where uh, Santa Anita goes. You know, I think the other beauty of Pegasus, unlike these other big days out there, Pegasus Day, besides the entertainment, the excitement on on track, is look at the post times. We run in, we run races every half hour. Yeah. Uh, you know, 11 a.m., 11.30, 12, 12.30, 102, 133. It's, and yeah, sure, there's a three-minute drag, let's say, to, to, get, to get them off. But it's not like these other big days at other tracks where you're talking 40 minutes, 45 minutes, 50 minutes. Hour and a half between certain races, right? <laughs> I mean, we 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 go fast, and we got 13 races from 11 a.m. to 5:45. And this day flies by. And again, you know, we're on national television from 4:30 to 6 with NBC. So uh, those those they have to hit those post times. So there won't be uh, and the sun, and the sun will set yes. on us. So we got we're getting them all in quickly. The hits. The hits just keep on coming, and in terms of action, especially when Santa Anita gets going, there's there's not going to be much time to take a breath, and I love that. I love those action-packed days. I think it makes it it just makes it more fun to to be on track, and the and the energy is amazing. I went to my first Pegasus last year, and I do not plan on missing one. It was it really is one of racing's biggest events. You mentioned about uh, you mentioned about the the coast to coast and all the stuff happening. Let me just give a quick little shout out to the coverage we've got going on i don't have my lineup finalized but looks like we're going to do a live stream 8 45 eastern on thursday night that's going to be covering uh the pick six i think with some spot plays as well nick tamaro's booked for that we have an open spot i've got a few uh feelers out we'll see what happens and then that's going to be a live stream so you can watch that through um in the money social media probably Gulfstream social media we gotta work that out but um the other thing though is we are going to do a special show for that coast to coast you know putting you on the spot here but there's a chance you might want to join us for that one yeah i i got you know in the morning you do it friday i'm i'm in of course i'll be around and uh you know i'm in the planning process with our friends at nbc that's my main gig uh, this week, uh, we have the whole team coming down, but Friday morning is a perfect, uh, perfect time. I'll be ready to roll. Excellent. We'll get that. Uh, we'll get that rocking and rolling. We're going to have some fun talking about all these races throughout the week. Any other uh, messages we have to get out there for people? Are the tickets still available? What about the, what about that side of things? Yeah. Limit limited tickets available. I mean, they, they've sold out most of the places in here. It's, uh, you know, obviously Gulfstream isn't as big, um, as some places, but as you know, as you know, Pegasus Day, they they pack them in, and uh, it'll it's going to be great. But yeah, PegasusWorldCup.com. There's a you can get what's available on ticket wise. But you know, the, the main message here is you know 11 a.m. kickoff, uh, and it's the action won't stop. And um, you know, it should be a huge day. Last year, 44 million in, in handle, and we're looking to uh, bust through those records, especially with these full fields. And you got to give a shout out to the racing office. Uh, for overflowing fields in all of the Pegasus races. I've never seen that before, so this is going to be huge. 
it's terrific. And we have, you know, uh, no pressure on the horses competing in race two, but uh, they have a tough act to follow from the horse that won the equivalent race last year. That was Mage, who uh, went on to right. win, the, win the Kentucky Derby. It's it's a fun undercard. The stakes races are, are terrific as well. If you're, if you're on the fence about the contest, get involved one more time. PWCBC.com. They, they set you up in the Sport of Kings, which is a terrific teletheater, but it's also right in the action there. Very easy to get from there. Yeah. Paddock, you're right next to Ten Palms. Um, I'm going to be, all, as you will be, I'm sure, all over the place. I love the Carousel Club. Not sure if there's anything left in there, but if you're there or you have friends who are there for the party, that's a great place to go. If you're more serious from the racing side of things, you know, Ten Palms or, or Sport of Kings both give you terrific access to and that, facilities. Yeah. And that's exactly it. I mean, there's something for everybody. You know, I, you know, as you know, a lot of people like to complain, right? That's what they, they live Worst for. players now. No, but the reality is you're feeding every customer you can here, right? So between the wagering menu and then the entertainment, you know, you got both ends of the spectrum, but that's the idea. It was something for everybody. And, um, you know, talking at the card, I'll give you a, leave you with one thought. Race one, 11 a.m., kick it off. Uh, you know, Rosie's Alibi, my resource. Of course, named after uh, my daughter Rosie. So we're uh, <laughs> if she wins, we'll be in the winner circle early. Uh, you know, and that horse. Look, look at her again. First time grass. The mom is uh, the dam of Deb- uh, roses for Deborah. You sure. know who we know, right? So this horse is fresh grass. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Coming right. You know, can get the distance. Obviously, so we got Pletcher, Luis. Let's kick it off with Rosie on uh, on Saturday. Will you give us a, a hunch play with something behind it to start the day? One last unscheduled question. You were confiding in me, Pete, off air, that you've watched more football as a result of of, uh, of being a dad. You've watched more football this year than than any other year of, of your life. Who wins the Super Bowl? Well, I got so I have a future on the Ravens at twenty five to one. Nice. Um, yes, that I bet when I landed in Baltimore in May. Uh, so was, I was inspired. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, in May, right, for the Preakness. And then, of course, we met the most of those Ravens at the Preakness. Nice yeah. guy, Coach yeah. Harbaugh. Couldn't be a more nice guy. He, the way he looks at you, he looks you in the eye, have a conversation. He's just a really, really good guy. And I'm rooting, I'm rooting for the Ravens um, for that. And, uh, yeah, so hopefully they keep going. I know, you know, you crush all the Swifty the Swifty fans out there, but you know, um, yeah, people are hating you right now, Pete. You, you definitely are. You're running afoul of a very powerful subsection but, of society. But you can imagine the, the locker room, right? With the Ravens, like enough of this Swift thing. You know, I can only imagine, right? They're like the evil empire at this point, trying to ruin all these little girl dreams. But um, I can't. I and listen, I had Kansas City last week. I mean, last year in the Super Bowl. I have no problem with them whatsoever, but. I think it's time for the Ravens to, to show up what they got. And, uh, I'd love to see it. Coach uh, Todd Munkin, the, the offensive coordinator, is also a big horse player, comes to Saratoga every year. Friend of uh, Marshall Graham, had the pleasure of hanging out with him. Incredibly sharp guy. I'm with you, man. I think they're going to be tough to down. I could be talking with my wallet here, though, as I, too, sit on a Ravens future. Nice. Great having you, buddy. We'll have you. We're going to try to get you. We're going to try to sneak you back on later in the week as well. But always a pleasure. All right, brother. Thank you. Before we get out of here, as promised, I do want to drop in the audio of the video that JK and I did for YouTube with Buy, Sell, Hold. Encourage you to go over there and check that out as well, especially so you can leave comments and whatnot.
but you'll hear a few different references and things that don't make sense because they come from a video. Just ignore those and uh, enjoy this content JK and I put together for YouTube right now. A little bit more Kentucky Derby coverage. A little bit more. Who am I kidding? A lot bit more. We're just getting started on the road to the Derby, but we have a concept we've used the last few years on our podcast, and we're going to debut this video version of it now. I'm talking about Kentucky Derby buy, sell, hold. Peter Thomas Fornital with you back in the Brooklyn Bunker. Happy to be joined by Jonathan Kinchin. JK, what's up? What's going on, PTF? Yes, we are. Uh, we're, we're here to do a little buy, sell, hold. Now, we understand that this is a little bit after the, the, the pools have closed, but there's obviously a lot of opportunities to get involved, whether you're out in Las Vegas or internationally, if you want to get involved in some of these prices. And then there will be another future pool coming up pretty quick. So, uh, it's at least something to keep your eye on and, and something to kind of guide you through some of these derby preps. In the old days, this was pool one. Kind of interesting now that they've expanded it and it's uh, it's the third pool that they do. And yeah, for me, this is it's more of an exercise. It's a guide. It's it's like looking at uh, football prices early uh, early in the week, almost like from an academic purpose. This is what the market is thinking. Maybe we can get some clues that are going to help us in our actual wagers a little bit later on. And like you said, if you're in Vegas or in uh, civilized places where they let you bet anti-post, maybe you can get on a little bit sooner. Let's talk about the horse JK that is the favorite of individual entries and the obvious favorite really for the derby at this point given the massive speed figure given the fact that he's going to be named two-year-old champion this year he closed at eight to one in this pool three of the derby future wager available at a much more appealing 12 to one internationally fierceness now you've tipped your hand on this horse you already said you thought he might be running for a triple crown when it comes to uh, belmont at saratoga in a few weeks but what do you think about this price right now is fierceness for you a buy, a sell, or a hold? Well, I, mean, I don't think it's crazy, right? I mean, I'd imagine he'll have two preps. If he wins both of those preps the way that he appears he might, considering what he did as a two-year-old, the numbers he ran as a two-year-old, and just the normal progression you expect from two to three. If he runs those numbers in those two races, winning the the the, the Holy Bowl and the, and the Florida Derby, he'll be five to two on the day. Um, and so getting that eight to one now, isn't the most disgusting thing I've ever heard. Now you still have to worry. Uh, it's they're four legged animals and, and sometimes, you know, injuries or illness or, or change in plans can come in, into play. Ask, uh, his, his old time stable mate, his big brother, uncle Mo, um, big brother, not by family, but by the fact that they both are owned by Rapoli trained by Todd Pletcher and, 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 you know, things can happen, but I, I'm not really that upset about the eight to one in, in all fairness. He's a, he's a spiritual brother, and he's a soft buy for J.K. Let's talk about a horse that has a massive, what they call Rick, a discrepancy between the U.S. future pools and the international ones. That's Sierra Leone. This horse closed as short as 13 to 1, getting some wise guy vibes in future pool 3. Still available at 33 to 1 internationally, J.K. 13 to 1. How do you treat Sierra Leone? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I, I, this is a sell for me. I mean, I think that a lot of times people get too excited about these late running types where they, 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 they look a little flashy and then you get that ridiculous opinion that, oh, this horse is going to love a mile and a quarter based on the way he was closing, going a mile and an eighth. And it just never seems to really work out that way. Uh, like I said, in the, the, the two early top 10 that we did uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, I, I want to see Sierra Leone be a little bit more forward in, in terms of, of the type of horse that can win the Kentucky Derby. The other issue with Sierra Leone is that 
you know, though Remsen has not been a great producer of horses to run well in the Kentucky Derby. I think a horse that's ready to, to win at a mile and an eighth at the end of their two-year-old year doesn't necessarily transition into a horse that wants to win at a mile and a quarter uh, in the first Saturday in May. So this would definitely be a sell for me, a little bit too hypish for me, a little bit too much. I hope this horse works out when conversely fierceness, we know how good fierceness is. And really, if he just does what he's been doing, he's a likely winner of the Kentucky Derby. Sierra Leone has to improve, has to get faster, has to change his style, blah, 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 blah. Up next on the dance card, JK, is Dornick. This horse, of course, full brother to last year's Derby winner, closed at 15 to 1 domestically in Pool 3, available at 20 to 1 overseas. This is the horse, of course, that beat uh, Sierra Leone last time. Interesting that his price is bigger on that basis, though I suppose the track was seemingly favoring uh, the inside a little bit. And that's probably part of the reason for the blue sky on Sierra Leone as well. He did probably overcome the prevailing way that the track was playing. Anyway, let's get back to Dornick. Is he a buy, a sell, or a hold at odds of uh, 15 to 1? Yeah, I mean, I prefer him over Sierra Leone, that's for sure. Um, and, and I think for a couple of reasons. One is that Dornick is a little bit more of a forwardly placed type, which is a style that I like. And I think that not only do I like, I think that most people uh, will agree does well in the Kentucky Derby. I don't remember the stat, but uh, leading at the eighth pole, the stat's crazy for the amount of Derby winners that when they turn for home, they get to that eighth pole. They have an eighth of a mile left in the race. The winner comes from whoever's in first place at the, at the eighth pole just how it is. It's not a closer's race. It's a forward race. Dornick has shown that he can be a little bit closer. He does have some figures. He just needs to improve like he's been improving. And I think that he could kind of get himself into the mix. He does have those rims and stats to deal with, but I do think he makes a little bit more sense. I just need less from him than I'd need from Sierra Leone. Rich Strike would like to have a word with that leading at the eighth pole stat, JK. Well, how many races did he win after that? <laughs> I knew that was coming. I had to, I had to, I had to set you up for it. Um, and while I don't fully agree with you about the Remsen being an unproductive race, always we did see a couple of years ago, both Zandon and Mo Donegal go on to good things. I will say this. When I look at the form of last year's Remsen and I look at the form of last year's Breeders' Cup Juvenile, I'm leaning towards the Breeders' Cup Juvenile as the key piece of form. And that leads us to our next horse. A horse that just has, I don't know, JK, as an old school horse player, when you look at the PP cut of a horse like Locked and you see that big, fast second race and you see that really fast Breeders' Cup Juvenile, granted, in behind fierceness, doesn't he just look like a horse that's supposed to move forward over that? I think he's kind of exciting. He's 18 to 1. Interestingly, this is one where internationally they're, they're keeping him very close. He's actually shorter internationally, 16 to 1. That 18 to 1 locked for me feels a little biased. I'm not going to lie. What do you think about locked? Well, you, you'd like to think that locked is an unlikely dodge fierceness, right? In, in his derby prep uh, path. He also has that good race at Keeneland. Um, Todd has often. If he has a horse that's run well at Keeneland as a two-year-old, he'll usually send that horse on that path to run back on that racetrack. So I would imagine, and I haven't even read this, I would just would imagine that Locked is going to go the kind of, uh, you know, the, 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 the bluegrass route. If that's the case, you think Locked wins a prep, wins the bluegrass, he'll be right there in the mix. What's he going to be? Eight to one on the day if Fierceness kind of does what Fierceness does. You get another Bob Baffert runner. What it's, which it seems with the news yesterday of Baffert uh, dropping his appeal, it seems that that, that, that could lead to, to uh, uh, him being able to have horses run 
in the Kentucky Derby. So I think that locked could probably go off at eight to one, nine to one, 10 to one. Does the 18 to one move you? I'm not really crazy about him from a future standpoint, but I do think he's very interesting as a horse. I just don't like that price. Let's talk about track phantom up next. This horse made some noise in the LeCompte this past weekend, winning in wire to wire fashion. This is another one. Interestingly, that the pool three price of 18 to one uh, greater than what he's available at internationally, 14 to one. I don't know. This horse was able to um, win wire to wire again. The circumstances are going to be so different. What do you think at 18 to one? Buy, sell, or hold? Yeah, well, look, I mean, uh, sneak peek. Uh, this week's Lanes in Legacy of the Week, a, a son of quality road, track phantom. Uh, look, you, you, you win the gun runner, you, you win the LeCompte. You, you got to get a little excited. You got a Hall of Fame trainer in your corner. Another one that I'm probably not crazy about the price. Um, you know, what's track Phantom going to do if he if he goes on to win the Risen Star and the floor and, and, the, and the Louisiana Derby? What price is he going to be based on his speed figures? He's probably still just a little bit too light. Um, he's going to have to get a little bit faster and to, to, to be able to kind of be in the conversation with a fierceness. But I mean, he's trending in the right direction with the right trainer. Um, I think he's a very interesting horse and um, I, I, I'm not crazy about the price. I would hold on track Phantom just to kind of see where he's at. I feel like you're going to probably get pretty close to that uh, on the day, unless he just runs the table down in Louisiana. Take one quick moment to uh, point out that we're grateful to our sponsors, the Pegasus world cup betting challenge and our friends at Gulfstream park, huge weekend this weekend there with the Pegasus happening, that contest, a phenomenal deal for players with $50,000 added to the pot and five sixths of the money that you put up, your live bankroll that gives you an opportunity to walk away with more money than you came with for sure. For more information about that, check out pwcbc.com and be sure to pay attention to the extra podcasts we have on the tropical turf pick three on every racing day on the weekend at Gulfstream Friday, Saturday, Sunday, this weekend going to be a lot of fun. Check that out wherever you get your podcasts in the money media, in the money players podcast, the place to go to find that. Let's move on to a horse, JK, that I know you wanted to talk about and one that you've had a fondness for. We're talking about Timberlake. This horse closed at 30 to 1 in Pool 3, available at 25 to 1 internationally. When it comes to his chances in the Kentucky Derby, are you looking to buy, sell, or hold his chance of bringing sexy back? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that, that he's a buy for me. Um, you know, a lot of things have to happen, but he's got a foundation, right? He ran what five times in his two-year-old year. So coming back a little bit late, kind of getting what, what one might consider a late start, um, to his three-year-old year. I'm not overly concerned. I mean, this is a horse that I singled and, and felt was the winner of that very fast Breeders' Cup Juvenile until Fierceness jumped up and, and ran off the screen. But I still think that, that he ran well enough in a very fast race to suggest that, that possibly with some time to grow up and some, some rest and some relaxation, and then to come back for a trainer in Brad Cox who, who, uh, who, who has won this race before, for the most part, yeah. I, I think that really could definitely take a step forward. And, and you're, you're getting paid to find out. Now, look, he could have another setback or he, he could end up uh, not really being the same horse that he was as a two-year-old. That happens quite often with these precocious two-year-olds. But he also has a right to be a good horse moving forward. He's an end to mischief. So there's a lot pointing in his direction. And I think at 30 to one, you know, Timberlake shows up in a prep race and runs a 104 buyer and wins by six. He, suddenly that 30 to one is, uh, is now cut in half to, to, to 15 to one or lower. 
you know, something you'd want to have on side at that point for sure. A couple more horses at bigger prices to talk about. Just want to let you know we come on here, we give our opinions. We want to hear your opinions. Drop them in the comments. Let us know what you thought the value was of Future Pool 3 or who you think is going to win this year's Kentucky Derby. If you're listening, it's very easy. People will say, I heard you. I'm not on YouTube, like as if it's some mystical thing. Just go to YouTube. Look up the video. Put your comment right in there. We want to hear what you have to say as well. Next horse that we want to talk about, El Capi. JK, this horse ran on debut and was an extremely impressive winner. And what I really liked about this, as I've mentioned elsewhere in our programming, I really believe Rick Dutra when he says the horse showed that speed, the horse did that on his own, much more so than on the training. He's now been um, put on an advanced program in the Dutro barn in terms of really trying to get this horse ready to repeat or improve on that effort second time out. Gosh, if he does so, based on the figure he ran on debut, this one could be right in the mix. Yet he closed at uh, 33 to 1 in Pool 3, available at 40 to 1 international. Eli <laughs> El Capi, is he a buy, a sell, or a hold? Uh, you know, for me, I, I think he's a buy. I think he's interesting, right? Uh, it's it's Rick Dutrow's world. We're living in it. He he obviously, uh, you know, came back with with a fury with 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 White Avario winning uh, the Whitney and the Breeders' Cup Classic. Um, he's always been heard of to me. I've always heard that he's just this great horseman, right? Even even because he was involved, he was. It, his heyday was prior to my full involvement, right? So I have to kind of take that second hand from a lot of people, people like Angel Cordero, whose opinions I respect immensely. So when it comes to a situation where you have a developing a young horse, I, I trust people that are considered good horsemen. And I think that there's an opportunity for him to do that. He's a McLean's music, but that's not necessarily an issue for me. We never really yep. got to see what yep. McLean's music was going to do. Cloud computing won the Preakness. So it's not as if uh, the, the pedigree should be an issue. Um, I will say this though, it feels as if this is like a little big brownish, right? Like uh, kind of taking this really fast horse and, and kind of a special type of horse and just progressing right along. And if he goes on the same path that big Brown did, um, I could see this horse definitely being in the mix. He ran a fast number first time out and we'll see what he does when he shows back up kind of similar to Timberlake in that. I, I, I think that there's, there's some meat on this bone if you want to take it. Yeah, certainly an interesting long shot. And for as far as Dutro's credentials go, all you need to know, JK, and all the international audience needs to know is when Bobby Frankel would ship a horse into a place where he didn't have a, his own string and where Dutro had a string, he'd put his horses with Dutro to, to look after them uh, until he and the team got to town. That's a pretty ringing endorsement of Dutro as horsemen. One more we're going to talk about. And uh, I get hungry when I talk about this horse, because I, I, I think of the restaurant at all our great meals in, uh, in Vegas and, and the times I've been able to get in, in the West village rare as they are special place. I'm not sure if the restaurant is what gives Carbone his name or not, but this horse run a couple of times showed some promise 36 to one, in pool three interestingly jk couldn't even find a price on this one internationally doesn't really seem to be on their radar you buying selling or holding carbone yeah i I think it's just interesting right another one of those horses you know the the horses at the top of the market outside of fierceness i I just don't really see a ton of value there right because you kind of know who they are the market knows who they are there's not a lot of of speculation there. You're just kind of saying, Oh, that horse is that horse. Let's see what we can get here. I think Carbone is at least interesting, right? He's a Matoli uh, trained by Steve Asmussen. Uh, I've always found that trainers who end up with talented um, offspring of horses, they trained 
to be kind of interesting. They're very familiar with the pedigree. They're familiar with the horse. Um, and, and, and I just, it feels like this is one that's kind of traveling in the right direction, right? And he's winning anyone who's winning these kind of big pursed races at Oaklawn park, I think is interesting as well. So, uh, I think he does offer a little bit of value. He won at Churchill on debut, won at Oaklawn, both wire to wire, interesting pedigree. It doesn't scream mile and a quarter, but in the hands of Steve Asmussen, certainly one to watch. Sounds like you're a, a, at least a soft buy on Carbone. Yeah, I would say it a, a soft buy. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's an uh, El Dente buy. <laughs> we got to get to Car. We if we can only get in, we got to get to uh, back to Carbone in the city at this point. Since I don't think either of us is going to be in Las Vegas anytime soon. But that's the topic for another podcast, another video. Really appreciate you coming on here, J.K. Appreciate everybody who participates um, in the Money Media wherever you get your podcast. Please subscribe to our channel, click the bell, do all those fun things. We want to keep bringing videos to you and we're going to do it all the way through uh, the first Saturday in May and beyond. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. I want to thank all of today's guests, JK, Rich Rosa, Pete Rotundo, and of course, Nick Tamara. We'll thank our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing. Good luck at the Eclipse Awards. Special thank you to Kim Weir, the first uh, partner we ever had on the commercial side here at In The Money. Looking forward to getting her back on to talk about what she's got cooking very soon. Most of all, though, I want to thank all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. If you want to help us out, there's so many different ways. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to us over at YouTube. Sign up for our free newsletter. That's a really easy one that actually helps a bit more than you might even think. InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash email for that. Also, feel free to reach out via our website, InTheMoneyPodcast.com. There is a contact button there that goes directly to my email. Happy to answer any questions you might have. Social media at Looms Boldly on Twitter. And speaking of the website, lots of free content over there that you should be checking out. It's uh, really exploded in terms of the visitors we've had over the course of the last year or two. And I think that's because we've got some of the best in the business over there providing daily analysis, the likes of Nick Tamaro and Dean Kepler and Chris Couples and John Pinder and uh, Jackson Muniz and the list goes on and on. Eric Solomon, Eric DeCoster, uh, really very proud of what the team puts together. And you can check it all out for free over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. Okay, enough chatter. Time to get out of here. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos. <laughs> <laughs>